unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. All right, welcome back to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. David, how are you doing today? Good, Nathan. How are you? I'm good. And I see from the show notes that we're going back into my favorite series of the Copywriters Podcast. And I'm excited about this one because it looks good. We're going back in time. Yeah, um, this is... um... Old masters, we're going to look at copywriting today from an unusual angle, not so much about how to do it or what are the new developments, but specifically, what does advertising do that makes it increase sales? Um, Sounds a little philosophical, very practical. Um, This is part of our old masters series, and we're taking from a book by the great copywriter James Webb Young, who also wrote a different book. Um, a Technique for Producing Ideas, which we've talked about in other shows. Great book about creativity. But the book we're talking about today is called How to Become an Advertising Man, originally published in the Mad Men era in 1963. And about one-third of this book is about five ways advertising increases sales. And that's what we'll talk about today. But first, I'd like to talk about something else. Copy is powerful. And you're responsible for how you use what you hear on this podcast. Most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims and if you're writing copy for offers in highly regulated industries like health, finance, and business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. So, Nathan, um, before we get into five ways, I'd like to point out that this book was written for people who create paid advertising, including direct response copywriters. And in some ways, it is more of a general advertising book. The author looked at what we do from a direct marketing perspective. But this is important. This was written in 1963, and this is 2021. In 1963, there wasn't a whole lot of content marketing. There was editorial and there was advertising, uh, very different today. And so you can use one or more of these five ways um, that advertising increases sales in any piece of copy you write. That's a given. But, and this is really important, if you're doing content marketing, you you need to use at least one of these in every piece you write. And the reason for that is your content marketing ain't helping sales. Why are you doing it? Okay. So way number one, the first way that advertising increases sales is by familiarizing. And we're going to start each part of the rest of the show with a quote. Uh, Here's the first one about familiarizing from the great American writer, Mark Twain. Familiarity breeds contempt and children. Okay, so familiarizing people are usually uncomfortable with things that come across as unfamiliar. Of course, if your product is new, that means they've never heard of it before. They're not familiar with it. Even if it's not new, if they've never heard of it before, most people will be wary. 
So by exposure to it in advertising, they can become more familiar with it. Now, while people, and I mean your market here, are usually uncomfortable with the unfamiliar, at the same time, people often crave variety. It seems like a contradiction, and that's because it is. But it's a reality copywriters have to deal with, and marketers do too. So on the one hand, people like the tried and true. On the other hand, they crave variety. Now, here's how skillful copywriting can help. On the one hand, you want to show how your product is fundamentally like what they're already familiar with and comfortable with. But on the other hand, you can show how it has some desirable differences that make it better. That way, you familiarize while adding excitement and enthusiasm. And here's an example of a new product that became a huge fad when I was 11. This was a long time ago when I was 11. It was a new kind of toy called a Super Ball. And everyone then knew what a ball was, but this ball was made from a mysterious material called Zectron. And it bounced much higher than ordinary balls. That was its desirable difference. In fact, it bounced so much higher that if you threw it down onto a hard surface, it would bounce high enough to fly over a three-story building. Wow. Yeah. And even if you knew about Super Bowls, Super Balls, here's something you probably didn't know. Lamar Hunt was the founder of the American Football League and owner of the team, the Kansas City Chiefs. He saw his kids playing with their Super Balls, and he decided that the championship football game should be called the Super Bowl. But the other franchise owners didn't like that and instead picked up with the incredibly catchy name of the AFL-NFL World Championship game. <laughs> but someone in the media found out about Lamar Hunt's idea, Super Bowl, and they really got into it, and it became a fad all across the newspapers and TV and radio. And in that way, the media familiarized the public with that term. And in 1968, in the third championship game, the franchise owners shifted to using the name Super Bowl. So the marketing lesson here is familiarization. The term Super Bowl became so familiar and popular that it overrode the initial vote of the team owner. I like this. People are probably familiar familiar with uh-huh. the term, a new twist on an old classic. So it's, it's a new soda, but it's the old soda that you like, but now it's got lime in it, or now it's got vanilla in it, or now it's got cherry in it. Um, another example of this is you brought this uh, to light to me. The, um, and I think it was when we were talking about the golden thread through pieces of copy, or maybe it was a big idea episode, but you were talking about gold under the Eiffel Tower. So it was, it was tying an unfamiliar idea to something that was familiar to help people understand that more um, in a couple of uh, sentences, maybe. Um, can, you, can you talk about that aspect of this idea? Sure. That, and that's a great example. That was from Agora. Um, and it was, you know, sort of a convoluted way back to what it actually was, but it's a fantastic image. Um, I think it was oil under, under the Eiffel Tower, actually. And, but when the gold, oil, those, that, those things, gold, oil, they're very familiar. Eiffel Tower, very familiar, one of the world's top tourist destinations. But the two don't normally go together. So that's the, 
that's the incongruity that that's the variety, if you will. And, um, you know, ideas like that. Well, once you say that, then you have to, and it may have been some French hedge fund that was investing in, oil. I don't, I don't remember how it worked, but, um, in fact, I don't know if I ever saw the promotion, but, but that, that's the idea that you, you put two very common things together in an uncommon way. Nice. And then it gives people, it it sparks that curiosity. It sparks that, Hey, this is something new, but it also, uh, it's, it's two things that I am familiar with. So it's, it's new, but it's not threatening. Yeah. And, and that's very important because, um, okay. I have a very early, um, giveaway from Amazon. It's a cup and it has the composer, John Cage, who wrote probably the world's singularly worst music. Um, and it says, I don't understand why people are afraid of new ideas. I'm afraid of old ideas. All you have to do is listen to one minute of his music. And you can see he's clearly afraid of old ideas, like music that sounds good. Um, but yeah, most people, um, and, and, but no, creative people do like new ideas and we get excited by them. And, uh, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but I've, suffered financial consequences by getting excited about a new idea and buying something I think is really cool that I subsequently realize cool is about it. It's not useful. It's not even something I will be interested in three days from now. Um, That happens. But when you're trying to market something in the marketplace, you don't want to depend on that kind of impulsivity and, and fascination with new ideas. It's not the way the great um, bulk of humanity moves. Nice. Okay. So, uh, let's go ahead and move on to the next example. Sure. So the second way advertising increases sales is by reminding. Um, and our quote on this is from the great British writer, Samuel Johnson, who said, we often need reminding, even if we do not need educating. So think about life today. Social media, text messages, 24-hour news, Zoom meetings, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Facebook, Facebook. So much going on. These days, more than ever, it's really hard for people to keep track of everything. And this is sometimes a little hard to swallow, a little hard for the ego of someone who's really proud of their product. Your market might already know about your product. They might already like it. They might already have even bought it once, but with everything else going on, even if your product is at the top of your priority list, it might have fallen off their mental radar. So using advertising to remind them about your product can be very profitable. And there's another benefit, not for prospects, not for people who know about your product, but people who are unfamiliar with your product. If you remind them over and over, it Reminding becomes familiarizing. People who are unfamiliar with your product eventually become familiar, and then they become interested. I did a little web search, and I found that there are at least 12 reminder apps on the App Store for iPhone and iPad, and at least 12, 10 reminder apps in Google Play for Android phones. So obviously, people like to be reminded, or they know they need to be reminded. But the key with your copy is to do it in a way that's not too annoying. 
And you don't even need to say, I'm reminding you to listen to pop copywriters podcast. You don't need to be quite that on the nose or, or blunt about it. Um, think of reminding more as a function than a message. Sometimes reminding works as the core message itself, but more often just seeing something about your product will do the trick. An entire multi-billion dollar sector of advertising is built mainly on reminding people, especially about established products. Think of the kind of products that Warren Buffett invests in, cola, insurance, ketchup. I consume all three. I don't know why I'm saying them with such a sneer. Um, what works for those companies probably won't work for yours. So I won't suggest you base your entire marketing strategy on reminding people. But there's no point in leaving it out of a larger array of tactics and strategies. I want to say Claude Hopkins in, I, I, I want to say it was his book, My Life in Advertising. He talks about uh, the, your market is not a, a, a crowded room. Your market is a parade. And so you can market to, if it was a crowded room, you could market to them today and it'd still be the same people tomorrow and the same people after that, but it's not, it's a parade and they're moving by. And he, he gives the example of a King when a King is crowned, that generation knows that that's the King, but when they have kids their kids don't know that that's the king. So you need to remind, hey, I'm the king. So you, you should think of your advertising as not a one and done thing. It's an ongoing thing. You do need to keep reminding people. You have to let them know you're there. You have to let them know about new offers because the people who saw your offer yesterday, there's a whole new generation. There's thousands of people that were born between yesterday and today that need to be reminded of who you are and what you provide. Yeah, that, that's a good point. You're still the same person, but your prospects keep changing. But as far as the king, sometimes the king has children. Children move to Santa Barbara. Oprah interviews them, and then all hell breaks loose. <laughs> uh, that's really funny right now as we're recording. But unless people, well, it's a good reminder for a month from now when people are listening. <laughs> Yes, you might, might have no idea what I'm talking about, but then again, you might. All right, let's move to number three. The third way advertising helps sales is by spreading news. And we start with a quote from one of my heroes, Gonzo journalist Hunter S. Thompson. Good news is rare these days, and every glittering ounce of it should be cherished and hoarded and worshipped and fondled like a priceless diamond. Hmm. Okay. It's going to be hard for your prospects to find much good news from cable or social media. So you can use your advertising to spread good news. Make sure that the news is something your prospect will find good, not something you find particularly flattering, but they don't care about. A social media post saying, we just won the Greenville Merchants Association Award for having the best selection of Allen wrenches in all of Greenville might cause your chest to swell up with pride. But unless your customer is an Allen wrench collector or in immediate need of a hard to find one, who cares? But if you can tell your prospects about a new way to use your product to solve an annoying problem they haven't been able to solve before, that could be news. A testimonial, um, a celebrity 
testimonial endorsement, that could be news. Um, for example, this. Did you know Michael Jordan wears Air Jordans? I mean, I don't know if he does or not. And I don't know if this would even be news today. But the point is, anything Michael Jordan says or does is news. And that would help sell the product. People find all kinds of news inherently interesting. And if you can find a way to share news and associate it with your product, that can help lead to sale. There's also a simpler way than what I'm talking about. This I've been talking about. This can happen. Announce a new product to an existing customer. So I'll give you a personal example. I'm on the buyer list for a software synth company called Yuhi. That's a strange name, but that's the company's name. Three months ago, I had one of their products called Diva. Today, I have six more. One called Hive, two versions of one called Repro or Repro, and three versions of the one called Zebra or Zebra. I hate it when people call Zebra Sabres, but I know some people will only recognize it that way. I'll open emails from just about any musical instrument software publisher I've bought from before when the email's about a new product. I certainly don't buy all of them, but I buy more than a few. Do you have a problem with Kindle books? I do. Sometimes I really just want to hold a book in my hand so I can turn the pages and highlight stuff and make notes. That's one reason I recently released the print version of my book, Breakthrough Copywriting. And listen to this. On Facebook, I've gotten pictures posted from around the world. Pictures of people holding their printed copy of Breakthrough Copywriting in their hands, including one from an A-list screenwriter and marketer in L.A.'s famous Topanga Canyon. He was reading the book in his hot tub. Breakthrough Copywriting is a great book for you, whether you are a beginner or an A-lister yourself or anywhere in between. It costs a tiny, tiny fraction of my $5,000 a head seminar that the book is based on. So check out Breakthrough Copywriting on Amazon.com. Now, back to the show. I want to get your take on this. The people are naturally inclined to want to know if something is new. They want to be the first person to know about it. They want to be, uh, they want to have that secret insight or, or that uh, cutting edge advantage. Um, press releases. I don't see very many direct response marketing principles or copywriting principles in press releases, but I, I have, I can, I'm thinking of, and I can recall a couple press releases that I've read that made me want to buy. So I wanted to get your, how does this tie into the art of writing a press release? Well, I don't know. I'm not up to the, the latest, 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 because everything has changed so much in the news business and the PR business. But it used to be that a press release was really written for one person. And that was the reporter that you sent it to, or the editor that you sent it to, or the producer that you sent it to, to get them interested in doing a story. And the dirty little secret is that most reporters are either lazy, overworked, exhausted, or not imaginative. So about 80% of the news that ended up in the paper was actually written in a press release. <sighs> the media generally has an anti-product, um, anti-entrepreneur, anti-business bias, uh, which is, you know, just a classic example of biting the hand that feeds you 
Um, but we don't need to get into that. Um, but if you write a press release more like a sales letter, you're kind of screwed in terms of getting any media attention. However, if you do a really good job to tell the news and about a product, about a new product in such a way that it is rational sounding and factual and, you know, not, doesn't sound like you're beating your chest. It could conceivably get some people to buy too. I mean, that's what I, I don't know if that's a good answer, but that's, that's what I can tell you. Yeah. I know personally, a lot of articles that are written are just copy and pasted from the press release, especially in uh, the internet news world nowadays. But I do, I have, I specifically remember a couple of press releases that I don't know what their trick was, but I read it and I was like, man, I want to buy this now. Yeah. I mean, sometimes, you know, if the product's really good and you just do a, a description of it and talk about the features in a non-hypey way and the benefits rather uh, in a non-hypey way that, that could work obviously it did it worked on you yeah all right let's go to the fourth way uh the fourth way advertising increases sales is by overcoming inertia and we start this part from the violin playing genius alfred einstein here's his quote Nothing happens until something moves. Let's add that to the first part of Newton's first law. An object at rest stays at rest. Summing up Newton and Einstein, and despite all the urgent and confident pleadings of the law of attraction, things don't happen on their own. Or if they sometimes do, counting on them to do so regularly is a really risky marketing plan. So that's where advertising comes in. Advertising, and here I specifically do mean good copy, can influence people to move out of inertia and at least into idle and sometimes into first gear. Uh, one key valuable thing you can do with your copy is to get people to replace inertia with motion. That is, get them moving towards your product. There are a number of reasons people stay frozen in inertia. It may be laziness, it may be they're broke, it may be fear, it may be indecision, or it may be that they just don't like your product. Your job as a copywriter is to help them overcome all of those things. Laziness by making everything as easy as possible. For people with limited budgets, not truly broke, but you know, tight, tight budgets, payment plans. Um, for fear, calm their fears. Um, for indecision, help the person make the decision and feel like it was their own idea. Um, for people who don't like your product, give them reasons to like it. Inertia is one of those things copywriters often don't think about when they're planning their copy. But when you're dealing with human beings, and until we're selling to machine learning, I guess we're always dealing with human beings, Inertia is a factor you should consider and do your utmost to overcome it. Any thoughts about inertia? Just one thing to add. A lot of times when people are reading your copy or if you're on a, uh, you're actually on a sales call with them or talking to them about it, 
one of the things that they're looking for is confidence. They lack confidence in their ability to do something or their ability to get a result that you're promising. If your if your copy doesn't convey that confidence, um, you're not going to get the inertia. They're they're going to stay stuck, and that is especially towards the offer when it comes to transitioning into the offer. A lot of times people use what we call weasel words, or they kind of lose a little bit of steam when it comes time to actually make the offer. And when you do that, you convey that you don't have confidence in your offer. And if you're conveying that you don't have confidence, even if it's not directly, if it's just very subtle, they're going to it's going to impact their lack of confidence as well. So if you want to get that initial, uh, uh, <laughs> if you want to get that um, momentum going, you definitely need to provide that confidence in your sales copy. That's a great point. Uh, confidence can break inertia about it as well as anything I've ever seen. I didn't think of that. I'm really glad you did. Thank you. All right. Um, Let's go to the last one. <clears throat> the fifth way advertising can increase sales is by adding value. This is James Webb Young. By adding value not in the product. Explain that in a second. But first, and we mentioned it before, but let's mention Warren Buffett again with this quote. Price is what you pay. Value is what you get. Uh, easy for him to say. But if you do a deep dive into Warren Buffett's story, you'll find that little quip is the secret of his success. And after all, for a time, he was the richest man in the world. So as for when James Webb Young talks about adding value, he's talking about adding subjective value to the tangible product. He's not talking about actually getting involved in product design and changing the physical value. One way copy can substantively add value to the product is by reducing the cost of sales. The way this works is pure math. When you lower the cost of sales, you increase the profit to the marketer for each sale. So there's more value in the same product sold at the same price. This happens, of course, when you get ads with higher conversion rate and or lower cost per click. Another way we talked about this before is showing a new use for the product. In the book, Young says that 98% of households in America have baking soda. Now, Nathan is a baking pro or a former baking pro. You probably suspected that I am not a baker. And if you suspected that, you're dead on right. The reason most households have baking soda is Arm & Hammer did a big advertising campaign a long time ago to let people know they could keep baking soda in their refrigerators, and that would keep the refrigerators smelling fresh if they just left an open box of baking soda in there. Think of it as a Febreze of refrigerators back in the day. <laughs> now, my baking soda is in my cupboard. It's not in the refrigerator. I have no idea why I got it or what I will use it for. My fridge smells fine. Of course, I'm a male. But what's important is I'm part of that 90%, 98% here in 2021. And also another point that Young makes is we as marketers add value to product so it confers status on us. And that alone makes it more valuable for the computer. 15 years ago, I paid $10,000 for a Rolex watch. Incidentally, I bought it at Ben Bridges 
which was a jewelry chain owned by Warren Buffett's company. Once again today, I have no idea why I bought it or why I have it, but I can assure you at the time, it was definitely worth $10,000 to me. I'm just going to go back to the baking soda example. I have toothpaste right now that is baking soda toothpaste and deodorant that is baking soda based. So Arm & Hammer was a genius in figuring out different ways that they could use their product to add value to other aspects of your life other than just baking. Well, I mean, I just got to ask you, do you have that, that toothpaste and that deodorant because of your association with the world of baking? <laughs> I don't think so. I think it's probably my association with the world of conspiracy theories and not wanting a bunch of different chemicals. So I try to get the least chemically ones and Arm & Hammer makes some pretty good products that are baking soda based. But uh, maybe, maybe it was one of those things that was in the back of my mind that I didn't even realize when I was going through the grocery store aisles. Well, you know, I always like to say we'll never know. Okay. So Let's summarize this. Advertising and copy in content marketing, we'll add, can increase sales by familiarizing, reminding, spreading news, overcoming inertia, and adding value to the product. Now, this book, How to Become an Advertising Man, is out of print, and a few, a few copies are available for over $900 each on Amazon. So I'm not even going to post the link. Um, in fact, as soon as this podcast is over, I'm going to run down to the bank with my book and put it in the safe deposit box with my Rolex. <laughs> nice. Um, okay. Real quick. If people want to check out more episodes of the copywriters podcast, what's the website where they can find more? It's simple. Copywriterspodcast.com. Awesome. David, another fantastic episode. This is why I love this series so much because it's the tried and true tested. Um, there's so much in marketing that's like a flash in the pan. It's, it's the bright, shiny object. It's what everybody's doing today. And a week from now, everybody's forgot about it. These old master series are the, the things that have stuck around forever. And uh, I think I just think they're always so much more valuable than most of the other marketing podcasts out there that I listen to. Well, I agree. <laughs> awesome. Um, until next time, man, good luck at the bank with your safe deposit box and we will catch you next time. Okay. Catch you next time. Thanks. Bye. Before we go, a quick question. Would you like to have me as a guest on your podcast? Let me give you an easy way to contact me about that. We've put up a form on garfinkelmedia.com, and it won't take much more than a minute to fill it out. So if you'd like to have me on your show, just go to garfinkelmedia.com and fill out the form. That's garfinkelmedia.com. Thanks, and see you next time on the Copywriters Podcast. This is the Copy and Funnels Podcast Network. 